Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and I'd like to welcome my guest, Dr. Aris Tianellis, Medical Director of Lake County Plastic Surgery, and we will be discussing current topics in plastic surgery. Now we will discuss facial contouring. Welcome, Dr. Tianellis. Thank you for having me, Dr. Hill. What exactly is facial contouring? Facial contouring is a broad topic, but in this case, we're referring to trying to eliminate the fine lines and wrinkles of the face. And how is that usually done? Many ways are used. Obviously, plastic surgeons use multiple modalities. One way is using microdermabrasion, dermabrasion, facial lasers. Those help take care of the keratinized layers of the skin. But sometimes that doesn't affect the deeper layers or the dermis layers, which are actually where wrinkles are formed. Now, how do you deal with that? Currently, the most common way of dealing with that is using either soft tissue fillers, such as Restylane, Perlin. These are commonly used fillers, and there's new ones on the market now too, but Restylane is a very popular brand, or Botox. Perhaps it might be helpful for you to define what really causes a wrinkle. A wrinkle is a formation or a crevice made in the dermal layers of the skin, oftentimes as a result of dermal attachments to the underlying muscular fascia. So as our face relaxes and descends, the skin is tethered and anchored at certain points, creating defined wrinkles that we all have in certain ways. When do you decide to inject a filler, and when do you decide to use Botox? Patients think that Botox is the same as a permanent or a semi-permanent filler. I describe Botox as a purified protein that relaxes the muscles and prevents those muscles of motion of the face from working. Fillers, soft tissue fillers, actually fill in the cracks in the dermis and elevate or plump out the dermal cracks. There are certain types of fillers that are used. Collagen was an early type of a filler used. It has a drawback of being relatively short-acting about three months. Also, it needed pre-testing. Then came along Restylane, which is a longer-acting hyaluronic acid filler. What this does is when this is injected, it draws water into the molecule, thereby filling it out, plumping it up. And this is done in your office by injection, yes? Correct. This is done under either local anesthesia or topical anesthesia or no anesthesia even. And it's a small needle is thread right into the crack where the you want to place the product. Do you get the effect immediately? As a matter of fact, you do. Sometimes you get too much effect. There can be swelling at the moment or at the point of injection. There even can be bruising. With certain types of products like collagen and Restylane, you, you want to overfill a little bit because you anticipate shrinkage or resorption of the product. Other types of products, a longer-acting product like Radius, you don't need to overfill. When can you expect this procedure to have to be repeated? Depending on the product. Collagen, I say, lasts about three months. Restylane and hyaluronic acid products last about six months. And then longer-acting hydroxyapatite products last about one to two years. And what about Botox? Botox is used to stop the muscles from moving. I use Botox in combination with the fillers. So thereby, I want to relax the muscles so that they don't move, and then the filler will take its shape more appropriately. So Botox is used in a variety of places around the face. 
but I use it to prevent the motion of the muscle. Can you use it anywhere in the face? It's only described or only allowed to be used in certain areas of the face, between the eyes, on the forehead, and then the crow's feet area. Is the result immediate? It's not immediate because Botox is actually, as I said, a purified protein, which binds to acetylcholine receptors. It takes a little while for all of the binding to occur, usually three to four days. I tell patients as they're driving home to use those muscles, create those furrows, work on that, because the more often they fire those motor end plates, the more it'll absorb that blocker. And how often does Botox injections have to be done? Also about every three months, Botox is repeated. You mentioned you commonly use Botox injections in conjunction with fillers. Do you ever use these type of facial contouring techniques with facelifts? Of course. They're very good in conjunction with a facelift. Quite honestly, combining procedures is always the best idea. What about fat transfers, taking fat from one part of the body and injecting it somewhere else? That's certainly a reasonable approach, and I think in recent years it's been advanced to a degree where fat transfer is more effective. It used to be that the fat that was transferred required two operations, liposuction in the private or discrete area, and then that fat was directly injected into the face or in features where you want to correct. The problem was that would be resorbed. Obviously, this fat is devitalized and will therefore be reabsorbed. Current studies have found that if you centrifuge the fat and just isolate the fat from the plasma, it has a much greater chance in growth of neovascularization and therefore stays longer. Are these injectable fillers and Botox generally safe? They have a very low rate of complications or risk. The greatest risk to any of the fillers is basically small granulomas. If the needle is too close to the skin surface, it might leave a little bump or indentation where you don't want it. Botox can diffuse a little bit too much and cause adjacent muscle groups not to work. Used too much in between the eyebrows, it could cause drooping of the eyebrow. So, yes, there can be minor complications. Luckily, they're short-lived. Who should be doing these injections? These injections do not require surgery, so they've crossed over a broad range of specialties. Botox has been used by many, many specialists, including ophthalmologists, neurologists to treat migraines, ophthalmologists for blepharospasm, neurologists also for torticollis, and so on. We see it used in the cosmetic sense. A lot of family practitioners, dermatologists, oral surgeons can be using it as long as they've been trained in it. I certainly recommend a board-certified plastic surgeon because if there are complications, certainly we can handle it. Body contouring involves many different techniques in plastic surgery, and certainly one of the most prominent ones is liposuction. What exactly is liposuction? Quite simply, liposuction is the process of passing a tube or a cannula that is attached to a suction machine through the subcutaneous tissues. There are current advances in that simple technology of sucking fat, more or less. One of them would be using tumescent fluid. Prior to liposuction, fluid with lidocaine and epinephrine is instilled into the soft tissues. What that does is control the bleeding with the use of epinephrine. Lidocaine controls the pain. Also, it sort of fills the fat cells with water, making them more apt to rupture as they're being withdrawn. Liposuction has many forms now, from standard suction lipectomy to ultrasonic liposuction to more modern techniques of liposuction, which tend to be more 
vasoselective, so as to damage less blood vessels and just suck out the fat. And when do you use it? Liposuction is most appropriately used in patients that have discrete areas of fat that need to be removed. For example, someone who comes in who's 300 pounds and 5 foot 2 inches tall is not a candidate for liposuction. That's a candidate for weight loss. Liposuction is more appropriate for someone who says, I've been working out my whole life and I just cannot lose my mother's hips. That patient is a good candidate for liposuction. Is this done under general anesthesia? As in all plastic surgery, it can be done under local with sedation and general anesthesia. The decision is made upon the extent, the volume, and the location of where I'm doing liposuction. Is this a terribly long procedure surgically? It can be as quick as 15, 30 minutes, or as long as an hour. Generally, it's limited by the volume that has been aspirated. Are the results immediate? The results are immediate. However, a patient tends to swell in the postoperative period. In the first seven days, I find that patients swell back to almost their preoperative size. The final result will be seen more at six months in a year. And when do you allow them to go back to normal, regular activities? After about a month, I will let them resume all physical activities. Now, what if someone has had a significant weight loss and they have very floppy skin? I take it that liposuction is not used here. Correct. I've had people ask me that. Can you do liposuction on this? At that point, the skin has lost its elasticity. Somebody who has had a significant amount of weight loss has lost elasticity in their skin. That skin needs to be removed. Is this what is called a tummy tuck? Uh, tummy tuck is definitely more of a cosmetic issue. When someone has to have removal of excessive skin from massive weight loss, that I would call more of a paniculectomy or a body lift. Tummy tuck is what I would classically describe in a patient who has had pregnancies, postpartum skin, some stretch marks, and just a slight amount of loose skin because I try to minimize a scar on a tummy tuck. But in a massive weight loss patient, unfortunately, where you have to pull the whole pant leg up more or less, the incisions are longer. Do you ever combine liposuction and tummy tuck techniques? Absolutely. For cosmetic procedures, I think it's a great idea a tummy tuck results in a small scar, but sometimes it can leave fullness toward the hips or the hip rolls, and that can be minimized or reduced with liposuction. When we talk about body contouring, one of the areas is breast reduction. Breast reduction is done on women that suffer from sore shoulders, indentations in their shoulders, rashes underneath their breasts, back, neck pain, under insurance or under cosmetic reasons, when a woman's breasts are too heavy or too large for her to tolerate, then a breast reduction surgery is recommended. How do you do a breast reduction? It requires a lot of incisions and actually removing breast tissue and subcutaneous fat. Recent procedures have tried to minimize the scarring and minimize the number of incisions, but essentially the principle holds the same. You need to lift the nipple areola complex and take up or pleat up the underlying skin. Will they still have normal neurologic sensation? As a matter of fact, I find that women gain more sensation in their nipples following a breast reduction. My idea is that the nipple has been on such heavy stress and stretch that after reducing that load, the nerves resume their sensation. And what happens if this patient becomes pregnant and then wants to breastfeed? At that point, I recommend or I advise them that they might not make adequate breast milk since the actual procedure of a breast reduction involves removing breast glandular tissue. Up to 80% of glandular tissue can be removed. The ducts have been violated. They might not be able to feed adequately. 
Now, as a plastic surgeon and talking about body contouring, I'm sure you must have patients who come to you and say, would you please take care of everything? Do you combine all these techniques at the same setting or do you prefer to do them separately? I combine as many as I can. So therefore, I limit the number of hours that a patient would be in the operating room. Is this generally safe, these procedures? These procedures are safe, but they do carry risks. And therefore, I would check with your board-certified plastic surgeon. I am Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, your host, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for today's medical professional. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Aris Tianellis, Medical Director of Lake County Plastic Surgery, and we have been discussing breast augmentation. There is another great segment coming up, so please stay tuned.